Hi, welcome back to Verge Now, a podcast for creative and innovative ministry leaders just like you. This is the second podcast in our Gather series as we seek to reimagine worship and soulful community for rising generations. My name is Lisa Smith, and I'm the pastor and artistic director of Convergence, a creative community of faith in Alexandria, Virginia. And today, it is my pleasure to get to introduce you to Lindsay Hayes, who's a PhD student at Penn State University. And Lindsay falls into the category of millennials, so she is uniquely qualified on a number of levels to speak into this question about creating soulful community for rising generations. So thank you for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So we're going to get into uh, our conversation in a second, but first I want to say a big thank you to the Calvin Institute for Christian Worship and their Vital Worship Grant Program and their Teacher Scholar Grant Program, which is uh, how I met Lindsay. Um, They are a fantastic organization that through the Lilly Foundation gives grants every year to churches, seminaries, and scholars to explore and deepen experiences of worship. And as I've mentioned before, you should go to the website right now and start filling out an application. There is no reason why you haven't done this yet. Um, It's a great opportunity, not just for the money, but for the structure to be able to think through how you might creatively investigate Um, some aspects that you as a congregation or maybe in partnership with other congregations want to grow and develop and just such a great opportunity to meet other people who are doing uh, creative work in this field. And so, like I said, that's how we met. We, um, we were both attending the uh, the initial conference for grant recipients in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we had been through basically two and a half days of sitting at tables, listening to other people's amazing stories and sharing our own story and being challenged about how we can do this and instructed on how to do it well. And we were on the van on the way back to the airport um, after this three days. And for, for me, in that case, I'm, I think I was sitting up in the front, yep. sort of uh, starting to, to zone out and decompress <laughs> and be tired of talking to anybody. But fortunately, yep. I was with Rita Hadley, who is uh, my partner in this, and she is the complete opposite of me. <laughs> she wanted to know everybody in the van, all their stories, what's going on. And so she started talking with you guys and then you started talking about your your PhD. Yep. Um, and, and I was fascinated and felt like we had to connect and I wanted to talk to you. And every time I've talked to you, I've learned something <laughs> and it's uh, really interesting. So I, I'm just really grateful that you took the time on your trip to DC to, to stop by and chat with me a little bit about that. Um, I would love to just kind of hear more about uh, about this research that you've been doing in, in your field of, of study. Absolutely. So first, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Mm-hmm. Love talking about church and technology and millennials <laughs> in general. So I'm a, a student at Penn State University. I'm in the College of Education. So I'm approaching everything really from a lens of learning. Uh, the degree is called Learning Design and Technology. So we study how people learn and the learning mm-hmm. sciences, what we know about the brain, what we know about how humans learn best and the type of environments where learning happens best. So I'm approaching church as a space of learning, which is kind of different from how a lot of people uh, view church or think why why would people go to church. But for me, I think church is a space of learning. Mm-hmm. So my degree is 
learning design and technology, but what I'm working on for my dissertation is how millennials specifically are using technology to engage with their faith practices and what that looks like. So there's a lot of survey research out by the Barna Group and some other groups that say that millennials are the least connected to faith or that they... Um, just aren't as connected to faith as much as their older generations are. And, and that's a trend that's gone on over several years, several generations, where it's always this 20-some age group is is the least connected. Uh, but a lot of the research is using church attendance as a measure of faith engagement. Right. And the problem for me there is that we know that the emergence of technology is also impacting church attendance. So I think it's unfair to say millennials aren't engaged in faith because they're not attending church, where they might be using other means to still gather, to still have communities, and to still engage in their faith. So what I'm looking at is how millennials are using technology or using things outside of the church to still gather, to still connect, and what that looks like. Yeah. See, this is so fascinating. <laughs> it really is. Because that's, uh, you know, I'm in a circle or many circles of church, churches and church planters, and and there have been so many studies about, you know, the nuns and duns, and it's going down and down. But as part of our grant uh, project, mm -hmm. we've been studying these how we gather and something more reports. Mm -hmm. And what I'm finding is that millennials are highly thirsty and hungry yep. for spiritual things. Yep. And, and to a large extent are finding that uh, soulful community or these opportunities for delving into their spiritual life in other places, often unlikely places. Absolutely. Um, so it kind of sounds like you're you're saying that's it's not so much that people are done with spirituality or even church. Right. I think that um, we're just connecting in a different way. We're mm -hmm. connecting in a way that our generate our parents' generation or grandparents' generation didn't connect. So community looks a lot different now than it did 100 years ago, 50 mm -hmm. years ago. When we talked about community before, community used to be who you grew up with, like who was right. in a five block radius of you. And now when you talk about community, it's way less about location and it's way more about why are you connecting? Mm -hmm. Like what is the common ground? What is the purpose of you connecting? And that's what builds community. So for millennials, community can be my gym group, I'm, I'm going to a specific gym and, and that's community for me, or it can be a Facebook group mm -hmm. where we are all talking about this thing and we formed a community because our purpose, we have an overlapping purpose. So I think that we still have community, it just looks different. And especially with technology, we're not bound by location when we're talking about community. And I think for churches, that's a big shift that a lot of churches haven't really shifted with yet, especially just brick and mortar. Right. And when we're talking even about shopping, like, you know, brick and mortar isn't necessarily working how brick and mortar has worked before. So where a church used to be a community of people who were all in a 10 block radius and they're coming to one location to worship, we millennials don't really function that way. You know, yeah. we're looking for things that fit us, whether it's close or not. Um, and that's for hmm. places where we shop. That's for people who we like. Pe you know, millennials have long distance relationships because we can, whereas, and, and we can be a part of a church, even if we're a, an e-member to a church where we feel this church best aligns with me. I really like the teaching there. I really like the preaching there. I like the types of things that they're doing in the community, whether it's my community or not, and I want to support what they're doing. So even if that means I'm connecting from afar, we like to connect to places where we feel like mm -hmm. the connection is um, 
is valid or it fits us best yeah. whether it's close or not so I, I wonder then that makes me makes me think are are people are millennials gathering online because it's what they're more comfortable or used to or is it because they have a greater field to choose from and what's really important is that i find something that resonates with me and reflects my values i think it's both i think it's of of course it's about you know, I want to go where I feel there's mo- there's more of a connection. And now I have a wider spread of places to choose from. Um, but also in some of my research that I'm looking at, millennials are also more comfortable kind of being behind a screen. Like there's mm-hmm. there's some level of comfort, whether I'm in a group chat or if having a difficult, if I need to have a difficult conversation, if I can text somebody as opposed to meeting with them in person, I might want to text. Um, I was talking to a group of millennials. It was We were having kind of like a church study, and they were saying they don't like to cry in front of people. Mm-hmm. So whether they were having a difficult day and they wanted to still connect with someone to let them know, like, this is what I'm going through right now, they were crying while they were texting, but that didn't come through. And they were able to kind of hide behind the screen while still sharing what was going on without having that uncomfortable situation. So I think there is a level of comfort with being behind a screen to still share things. Um, that That's a little bit different from being in person, but you know, there's trade-offs for that as well. Yeah, so I have, there's two questions that, that pop up. Um, the first is, so what would you say to um, the, the, the criticism or the critique or the question about um, online community versus in-person community. You know, there this this came up in some of our conversations. Absolutely. You know, that's all well and good, but it's not the same thing as in-person. And I was thinking about that. That kind of implies that um, there's something that you can get out of one versus the other. There's a judgment there on which, and and I'm not sure if that's valid or not. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, there's all there's there's definitely trade-offs for both. Um, so, is you know. The, the argument isn't against church. I don't think that saying that because you can connect online means that you shouldn't gather in person. I think there are a lot of benefits to being in fellowship in person that you can't get online. For example, praise and worship. I think starkingly for me personally, whenever I walk into a house of worship and praise and worship is going on and I get to see other believers with their hands raised, that's an experience and a connection that you get that you don't get online. Like if a camera, if I'm if I'm behind a screen and I'm watching church online and a camera is just like panning the room and showing me everybody, I'm not connecting the same way as when I'm in the room and feeling that energy. So praise and worship, I really think that that's something when two or three are gathered in person, I think sometimes that part of the in-person yeah. that comes out a little bit more. But when it comes to having difficult conversations and really being vulnerable with what's going on in your life, I think oftentimes online communities are a little bit richer or you, f- you can be more vulnerable. I think one thing with church and you walk in and, and you have this mask on like everything's okay and it's sometimes hard to be vulnerable in a community of people you know or in a community of people that you don't know. Right. When you walk into a new church for the first time, it's going to be very hard to strip off everything and say, this is who I am. This is what I'm dealing with. And on the opposite end, when you walk into a, a church that you've been a, a member of for 30 years or your parents have been a member of or your grandparents mm-hmm. have been a member of, it's also very difficult for you to walk in and strip down and say, this is what I'm going through. So on both ends of the spectrum, you know, going into a church where you feel loved and you feel community, you also might not feel safe to be mm-hmm. vulnerable. And going into a church where you don't know the people, you still might not be safe. So then we get into the conversation of the safe spaces. 
where do you feel the most safe to really strip down and be be vulnerable and sometimes being online whether you're changing your name online whether you're using your name online or whether it's just a piece of anonymity where you don't I don't know any of these people these people don't know where I work these people don't know where I live and I can really be my true self and talk about some of the things where I need to be most vulnerable sometimes online spaces is better for that right yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I can imagine that people would say, well, you know, we want our goal to be that we can be that kind of, Absolutely. we can have that vulnerability in front of each other. But maybe this is part of that disconnect mm-hmm. is of where we've um, sort of fallen down. There's a hole in the system between large scale public worship together mm-hmm. where it's a shared communal experience, almost like you would have. I, I, I feel similarities at being at a concert where everyone's yes. really connected or some sort of artistic activity yes. where there's shared experience. Mm-hmm. And then there are some learning opportunities and maybe within discipleship opportunities, there's a chance for intimacy. But that that step of going from large group to that level of intimacy takes some shepherding. Absolutely. So, and I mean, I think small groups are one of the most effective ways to do that, whether mm-hmm. it's in a church in person or whether it's an online community, small groups where I can feel seen, I mm-hmm. can feel heard. It's a mix of novices and experts. That's really important mm-hmm. that we learn, especially from a learning perspective, you should have mixed groups. Um, newcomers and old timers should be in the same group so that everyone can learn from each other and hear different perspectives. But that vulnerability piece and that safe space piece, you don't learn in places where you don't feel safe. Right. And that's from an education perspective. But from a spiritual perspective, if I don't feel like I'm in a safe space, I'm not going to be vulnerable. And then I really can't make that transformation or those transformative conversations can't happen if I don't feel safe. So I think it's mostly about asking community, where do you feel the most safe? And that might be different for different people. Mm -hmm. I feel the most safe sometimes on a, in a group chat online where I can just kind of type out things. Someone might feel more safe not being online. Like I know my parents, (laughs) right? (laughs) my parents would not share something deep and personal on the internet. Right. That's just not some, that's just not in their, in their mindset. But for a 22 year old, that could be very much so in their mindset and, and not being in person. So I think it's very different for everybody, whether mm-hmm. it's age or, or not. It's just where are you going to feel the safest to be most vulnerable? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be in a small group of people who you trust and know? Is it going to be in a small group of people who don't know you from a can of paint? Like right. what is safe for you that you can really have these difficult conversations? And I keep saying conversations and a place to talk because we know from an education perspective, you have to learning is a social engagement it's not something you can learn just thinking by yourself in a room silent but we know learning is most effective and can happen quicker whenever you have people to talk to Mm -hmm. and whenever you can share your ideas and wrestle with ideas and and speak about what you think this is and have someone else bring their knowledge to the table and you're having conversations with people and I think that's what's really important yeah and you know you're talking about a learning perspective and I really do think that 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 is important and even and to open that up that we're, I, I imagine when we're talking about learning we're not just talking about biblical literacy or learning you know the the doctrine of the faith or what to believe but right. it's also about teaching how to believe exactly how to pray how to walk through life it's that what happens in that small group discipleship formation kind of thing um, that I that I am sensing is also a piece of what what's missing um, uh, is that that training and opportunity to like here's the steps one two three right. of how t- how to live in this way of how to let God into your life. 
Right. It's it's a it's a faith walk. It's not just you know in what chapter can you find this right. happen. Right. It's when I say learning, I, I don't mean like you said doctrine necessarily, but more so, I think one piece that especially in the large church format that's been taken away uh, is the testimony piece. Like just hearing someone else's story is going to help me learn so much more uh, from a human telling me this was the situation that I faced. This is how I trusted God in this situation. And this was the outcome. And in large mega church formats sometimes, or just large formats where you don't have time or you have multiple services, you don't have sister whoever coming up and saying this was my testimony right. this is what happened but in small groups you can have more of that learning about how to walk out your faith learning how to trust god learning how you used this scripture and leaned on this scripture in this part of your life okay that's going to help me if i'm ever faced with a situation like this or knowing what i'm going through right now i can you know bounce those ideas off of what i've heard yeah um and I think I love preaching and I love sermons and I think that those are valuable. But I think that we've also gotten a little bit away from hearing individual stories in the in the community and in the church. And especially for newcomers who are coming into these settings, it's extremely important to hear lived practices. Like right. I want to I, I, I hear the biblical stories. I understand what happened thousands of years ago. But last week, how did you practice your faith? What yeah. did that look like? And I'm learning. And I think that that's an effective way to teach people about faith is, is hearing from one another. Yeah, yeah I, I, we have seen that demonstrated so clearly at Convergence. I mean, we're small anyway, so it it lends itself to to that kind of format. And and over the years, we sort of just developed this where we're, we're presenting something for people to chew on. And then there are opportunities for people to share. Yeah. And hands down, mm -hmm. I think uh, our spiritual lives grow and are deepened by hearing from one another, one another's stories, either seeing where somebody is growing and that's inspirational yep. or being challenged by something that somebody else is going through. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is that lived sermon Absolutely. kind of thing. And, and I think that this is interesting, though, in the context of that, because I, I think in my opinion, that puts a little bit of pressure on the uh, the requirement to show up in the sense of being present for yep. each other. Because if you're not present, then your story doesn't get shared. Absolutely. Then my life isn't impacted in the way it could have been if you had been there. Absolutely. Which isn't to say that can't happen online. I mean, that's what you're saying is move some of these conversations online exactly. so that it can happen. Exactly. I think that the online, it shouldn't be a an or it shouldn't be an or conversation, like you're either in line or in person. I think that it, it could be supplemental, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if it's great that your community is able to have like chewing sessions mm -hmm. where you can yeah. chew on things and then speak about them and talk to each other about them. But there are a lot of formats of church right now where that's just not possible. Right. You come in, you sit down, you listen, you leave. And right. if you spoke to another person in the church, awesome. But there are a lot of people who walk in and walk out without having said a word to anybody. Yeah. Or if you did, it was a very surface level. How are you? Great. Awesome. Have a good day. Right. Whether And you, you just don't have the space. So in those settings, if you could create an online community where people can talk about the sermon that they just heard that week or have small group conversations, whether it's in person or online, but just creating those spaces where people can continue to chew on things and talk themselves like yeah. how i asked the group last time you went to church 
did you have a deep conversation with anyone? Were you able to share what you were going through with anyone? Were you able to share how that sermon personally impacts your life and how you're going to use that sermon to then go about and do something differently? And if we don't have those spaces to share, we're really missing out on a really large part of yeah. the learning ex- experience. Like it's it's great to take in information, but it's also really important to be able to share out and create artifacts or create stories of your own mm-hmm. um, to even help with your own learning. Yeah. Well, so I read an article, I think this week from a millennial who grew up in church and she was kind of um, talking back a little <laughs> bit, just sort of saying, um, just very bluntly, the problem isn't Jesus. It's it's that basically we're doing it wrong. You churches are doing it wrong. Hmm. Um, that we're we're not finding, we're looking for this. We're just not finding it in church. And it sounds like, this is maybe part of, of of that, of like creating a space where it's it's a connecting, I have a chance to process so that it can connect to my own life and I can connect in that way with others. And feeling heard. I think one thing about our generation is we all feel very unique. We all mm-hmm. feel like we are the exception to everything else. Like don't group us as one. Right. Yes, I'm a millennial, but I'm unique. You know, right. like there's, <laughs> there's always something that is different or... or we, we don't like to really be grouped or in, in a homogenous type of thing. Um, but I think we like to be heard and we like to share our opinions and, and share our views and be in an environment that's open to allowing us to wrestle with these things or that's not closed off to accepting a different view or helping us think through what does this view mean given how, what we believe in this church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's you know, again, creating that safe space where people can come in and feel like if I have a different opinion about something, I'm not going to be ostracized or told not to come back, but that we can have a conversation about what this looks like. Yeah. Yeah. You, the last time we were talking, we, we kind of came close to this, um, talking about, uh, people who are, are not Christians mm-hmm. who might be spiritually open, mm-hmm. um, say they found their way to your church somehow um, yeah. or found you online or whatever. I, I, my question has been around, okay, so there is this hunger, there is this awakening, if you will, of, of spiritual thirst. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that need is, is people are attempting to meet that in a variety of locations. So, yes. so then what is the possibility or how do communities of faith get into that arena from a particular perspective. So like from a Christian, historically Christian perspective, is there room for that? Because it seems like people are generally open to spirituality or to mindfulness. Right. um, But when you start to get close to something that feels like institutional, uh, people get a little itchy. Right. So, I mean, is there room for us in that? Yeah, I think that the the issue, it's especially the institutional perspective, it's like, okay, now you're, you're coming with doctrine, right? Mm-hmm. Now this isn't about gathering, and this isn't about community, and this isn't about love. It's about you wanting me to live inside these strict guidelines and telling me that other people are wrong or telling me that friends that I have or loved ones that I have aren't right and it it gets into this right or wrong thing and this doctrine thing and I think that that's where churches can be more open into saying we're not telling you x y and z we are and it's really about setting purpose like if your purpose is to spread 
Jesus's message of love and whatever that looks like in your lifestyle can be very different, but we just want to make sure that you're loving your neighbor and, and you know how much you're loved. People are going to be way more open to coming into a space that is setting that as the purpose, as opposed to we want to make sure you're living this way Mm -hmm. or we want to make sure that you know how to live and that this is right and this is wrong and i think that churches have a bad rap right now Mm -hmm. especially amongst millennials just in the culture in general church is doctrine church is homophobic church is you know not accepting of, of different lifestyles um judgmental um hypocritical like all Mm -hmm. of these words are also associated with the church Mm -hmm. and it's 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 sad because that's not what the church was you know built on you know we're supposed to be a community where you feel accepted and loved regardless of everything but uh that's not how people view church right Right, now and i think stepping outside of of those bounds and just getting back to why are we all gathered here what is the purpose of us being together why have we formed? Mm-hmm. Um, is it to tell people that their lives are right or wrong? Is it to help people wrestle with the purpose of why they're on earth? Like there can be a lot of different purposes of why people gather. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important for a church to decide, this is what we believe, this is why we gather, and, these are, and, and this is the message we always wanna give to the community of people who we affect. Yeah. Yeah, and you were telling me about um, Howard John Wesley yeah. and uh, as an example of somebody who who is doing this well, but being able to have have a perspective, yes. have a, you know, a, a strong theological understanding Absolutely. of where he's coming from and be able to communicate that while creating space for people to actually engage these questions as yeah. opposed to feeling you know, beaten down, basically. And Tell one thing, yeah, one thing, one of my favorite pastors right now, I've literally been binging him <laughs> on YouTube, <laughs> but uh, one thing that he does really well before... <laughs> I don't think I hear people say, my favorite <laughs> pastor that I've been binging on YouTube. <laughs> I know, I love it, but that's it, that's indicative of what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that's, that's what, I don't, I don't watch a lot of Netflix, but I do, <laughs> I do binge watch some of my favorite pastors on YouTube, yeah. Um, and, and that's how, you know, yeah. I travel a lot and I travel on weekends a lot and I'm not in one church every weekend because right. I'm literally in a different city every weekend. So for me, consistency with a church looks like who am I listening to online right. on a weekly basis. And right. I, I'll listen to three or four different sermons on a weekly basis from some of my favorite pastors from around the country and me wow. physically getting to their churches might not be possible, but um, I can still feed off of mm-hmm. uh, some good teaching and still give of my resources to mm-hmm. churches, uh, mm-hmm. you know, around the country. But back to your question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think one thing that he does a really good job of when he's presenting a controversial issue or, or bringing up some of these issues that Christians even are on different wavelengths with is saying, you don't have to believe what I'm believing or, or what I personally believe, but I'm going to lay out here are the four different beliefs that people have about this topic. Mm -hmm. This is what they believe. These are the scriptures in the Bible that they will use to defend theirs. But if you believe this, you're also going to have to answer to this person who's over on this end of the spectrum. And these are the Bible verses that they're going to use to defend their case. Where do you fall? And, you know, he might at the end of it say, this is where I am, but you don't need to be there. If you're somewhere else on the spectrum, that's great my job as a teacher is to present you with here are all of the different people on the spectrum or different thoughts on this issue. You believe what you believe. You have your quiet time with God about it. You, you know, 
think about it however you want to, but I'm presenting you with here is the spectrum of beliefs and wherever you fall, just because you're in my church doesn't need, mean that you need to believe what I believe, but you need to have sound reason and biblical knowledge behind it. Right. And here it is. And I'm presenting it for you. But and, and a lot of the ends of these conversations go with we'll find out when we get to heaven. Mm-hmm, you know, like mm-hmm. none of us really know for sure. But presenting your community with the knowledge so that whenever they're going into conversations with non-believers, they right. can be equipped to have these type of conversations or going into a conversation with another Christian saying, I know that because of your biblical background, you are going to believe it this way because of the denomination I was raised in. I'm going to believe it this way. Um, and it's OK. Right. And that doesn't mean that we're not all still for Jesus. <laughs> There's a lot of issues that even Christians uh, are on different wavelengths about. But right. that doesn't mean that one person's right or one person's wrong. We're just kind of mm-hmm. seeing it a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, I think that's very probably very scary for a oh, lot of churches absolutely. and a lot of pastors. But um, yeah, we're talking about Howard John Wesley at um, Alfred Street Baptist Church, yes. who's the pastor there. And I, I think that's a great example. And it's also a great example to be able to look on YouTube mm-hmm. and see how he <laughs> handles those kinds yeah. of things. Because I, I've heard from other people, too, that those times are heavily attended yes. um, by young people, especially. Yes. Um, and, and that it's, I mean... It, that's a faithful church, you yeah. know, that's a really well-respected church, and he manages to do that very well. And I think one of the reasons why it's well-attended is we're all looking for answers, and I think that's why a lot of people are seeking community, because we mm-hmm. want to be a part of a group that believes something and that we believe we believe with them and they believe with us. And I think we all have these these questions, these life these life questions that we all want answers to. And I think when you create a space where you're willing to talk about these things, I think one of the gripes that millennials have with church is you guys aren't talking about relevant issues. Right, right. right. We're, we're talking about a lot of things, but you're not telling me how do I, how do I know this? Or, you know, what should I believe about these different topics and things that are happening in my daily life? If, if I was, you know, born in this age and, you know, I see homosexuality, I see all of these different things and I feel like I don't know where to go to, to have these conversations or to understand it for myself. Churches were designed to be a place where you could go to mm. kind of have these conversations and learn about them. And I think right now church is viewed as a place where it's just right or wrong. Right. And I can't have a opinion. I can't have a conversation. I can't voice my opinion. Um, and that's... It's just not a healthy place or a safe place to have those dialogues. And right. I think that that's one reason why millennials are, are they're looking for a community because we want somewhere where we can have these type of discussions. Right. And church can be that place. I think we've moved away from it. But I think that church can still be a place where people dialogue and wrestle. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and if everyone in there doesn't agree, that doesn't mean that we have to start a new church. Right, right. <laughs> and we I think that we can still love each other. <laughs> we can still love each other through it and, and keep moving. Yeah. yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about um, the, the online group of women, young women yeah. who sort of basically are forming their own ministry thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and this, this group is called Daughter of a King. Um, and it's a group of millennial women who have pretty much formed like an online community of faith. And this isn't unique. I know that there are a lot of faith communities that are 
formed online, whether it's on Facebook or through blogs or, or different group chats and things like that. Um, but what is unique is that they're not based out of a church. Like a church didn't mandate and say, okay, we want to start an online group. Right. This wasn't like a church plant. This is not a church plant. These are just women who were on fire for God and said, we want to create a space for millennial women. Just because uh, there's not a lot of spaces where young Christians can feel safe saying, I'm a young Christian. I love God, but I'm still, you know, in the culture. Right. But that doesn't negate uh, what I believe about Jesus and what I believe about my faith. So it's an online group. It's kind of like a support group, I would say. Um, virtual Bible studies, prayer calls, and we're gathering online and we're all across the, the, the nation, really. It's not regional. Um, they do have some retreats that take place in Maryland, but and people have driven in to, to come to those retreats, but They've gathered online and they're creating a group where people feel safe to share their faith and to practice their faith. They did a fast at the beginning of the year, Daniel's fast. They were sharing recipes. <laughs> they were sharing podcasts. They were sharing YouTube sermons. They were sharing music to listen to. A lot of people gave up secular music. A lot of people gave up social media and then, you know, had dietary restrictions. So just being in a s safe space where everyone came together and could really be vulnerable and say today's been a really rough day mm -hmm. i really want a cheeseburger and you know having having those conversations and leaning on each other and whether they would have done that in a church or not um it's just inspiring to see that people can gather in that way through an online resource so this is really interesting if you think about it in terms of like the early church in acts it's yep. almost the same like with the opportunity for outsourcing the preaching outsourcing you know an experience of of music or i can do my creative expression here like the only thing that actually becomes essential then is the community yes that can gather in a number of ways yep. and obviously you have access to the scripture in any language or translation or whatever you could possibly want at your fingertips yep so it's kind of like, you know, you can listen to this preacher this week and this week, you know, you get your letter from Paul this week mm -hmm. and you're like, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from the other churches. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. There's something, there's precedent in this <laughs> <laughs> in a way. Yeah. But it kind of, I mean, if we move away from being threatened by it, there could be a world of possibilities where. Um, we could have access to the best teaching yeah. on something or a variety of opinions on, you know, like we're talking about hot button issues. Right. We could listen to five sermons from five completely different perspectives. Absolutely. And then we discuss. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the, the outsourcing of we, we just have so much information at our, our fingertips and to limit it to say that you have to go to this church and hear this preaching in an age of information from a scholarly perspective just doesn't make sense. Right. Like, you wouldn't do a research paper, go to one library and only use the books in that one library. Right. We, we wouldn't do that. Um, we wouldn't just go to one author. We would find as many resources as we can from around the world and, and bring all those perspectives to the table and then chew mm -hmm. on all of those different perspectives. So, um, yeah, I think that online communities could very much do the same thing. Mm -hmm. We have, <laughs> we have, like you said, literature everywhere. We have sermons everywhere. We have music everywhere um, and being able to bring all of those together into a resource or community online. Hmm. Yeah, it, wow. it's going to it's 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 reshaping. It could reshape how we connect for sure. Well, so what are you seeing with your research on education models shifting and and kind of 
transposing that onto church yeah. culture, what what are you seeing? What are you thinking is going to happen? What are your recommendations there? So for sure, uh, we would say from a learning perspective that the preaching hour in a church is a very outdated model of teaching. So a teacher lecturing for 45 minutes to a, a crowd who does not speak and then leaves and us assuming that for the 45 minutes they gathered all of that content, whether they're taking notes or not, is a really outdated model. So mm -hmm. the lecturing piece uh, actually was, was kind of birthed out before we had the printing press. So before Bibles were at our fingertips, whether they were you know in print or on our phones, everyone didn't have access to a Bible or everyone wasn't literate to read. So there was a preacher saying and sharing all of the information from a Bible. If there was only one Bible, everyone was coming to that space to hear what was coming out of that. We no longer have that issue. Everyone, well, we have a very literate society mm -hmm. and a lot of people have cell phones so or Bibles in general. So we don't technically need that model anymore mm -hmm. because we can all, and even for in education, everyone has access to a textbook. So lecturing really doesn't make sense anymore because we can all read the same information. The Preachers more, everywhere going. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm sorry everybody, I'm sorry. <laughs> but the more updated model of, in, in terms of learning, uh, there's talk about like a flipped classroom and some educators are already doing this where you send the lecture out in advance. So you record yourself doing the lecture because lecturing is still important, you know, having a perspective. They're, pastors out there that are just so anointed in terms mm -hmm. of being able to break down a piece of text and really making it relevant for today. So I'm not taking away that at all. Uh, but you would record your lecture, record your preaching in advance, send it out on Monday, allow everyone to listen to it from Monday to Friday, and then Saturday or Sunday we're coming together. And what you would do at home, so the homework that you would do at home, we're doing in person together. So right now how the structure stands is we're all together listening to a lecture, and then our homework is supposed to be to chew on the lecture and to talk to people at home about what happened in church. But oftentimes you go home and you say, oh, how was church? What was it about? Right. Ah, it was great. I don't really remember, right. <laughs> but right. it was great. Whereas the flipped model would be at home, I'm watching the lecture, I'm, I'm listening to the sermon. And then when I get to church, I'm talking about it to the people who are at church. Mm -hmm. For me, it doesn't really make sense that we're coming together in a building and not talking to each other. Right. Like the humans in the building are the biggest resource that we have. Mm -hmm. Talking to each other is the reason why we should be gathering. Mm -hmm. Having that community and, and hearing each other's perspectives, I think, that we're missing out on a large asset, which are the people around us, the community around us, when we're not talking to yeah. each other. So on Sunday, we all have listened to the sermon throughout the week, and now we're coming together, and then we're talking to each other, yeah. and we're talking about the sermon. And even if the preacher still has a 15-minute refresh, this is what I want you guys to talk about. This is, I know you all watched the lecture already. Now let's talk. Yeah. And if you have ministers or if you have just you know, again, a mix of experts and novices talking to each other. It's a it's a radical shift of what we have yeah. right now, but it would allow people to really feel like they have more agency yeah. in their faith walk. I, I love this idea. <laughs> I think it's I think it's brilliant. Yeah, uh, it, it makes so much sense on, a, on multiple levels. And I was I was talking with um, a young person the other day, <laughs> but uh, I think people are probably more likely to be able to really listen 
to a lecture, if they are at home, if they have the headphones yep. on or they're listening in their car, yep. it's a little bit easier to focus absolutely, um, and, and process in your own way than it is when you're with a large group of people in a warm, in a warm building on a, in the morning. You know, yeah. I, I think and, there's something there too. And attention span yeah. is a thing. You know, I love listening to sermons when I'm working out. Mm-hmm. Like I don't mm-hmm. listen to music when I work out or if I'm going on a run, I'll listen to a sermon yeah. and I can kind of really dive in. Or if I'm sitting at home or if I'm sitting somewhere, I like to play a game on my phone while I'm listening. Right, right. And just for me, I, I just, I don't know if I have ADHD or whatever, but I like, or if I'm cleaning at home or if I'm mm-hmm. sweeping or, or doing something, I'll, I'll turn a sermon on and I'm still very much engaged even if my hands are moving. Mm-hmm. So to ask, especially millennials or just people who are used to multitasking and always having something to do to sit in a room for 45 minutes, don't talk mm-hmm. and don't do anything on your phone because that's right. seen as disrespectful as well. And sit and listen we're <laughs> it, it sounds almost like torture to a lot of people <laughs> right. like you want me to sit here listen almost sometimes feel like condemned or you know ashamed of of the way that i'm living my life and not talk and smile when i leave right. out like it's it's it sometimes doesn't sound like a really good day yeah <laughs> uh but if you know listen to a sermon sometime this week and then we're going to come in and talk about it and i get mm-hmm. to share my voice and opinion and bring a different perspective to yeah. I know everyone at the table is going to say this, but I'm going to say this. Yeah. And we can chew on it and we can debate it and we can talk about it. That's a good time. Yeah. I would love to come to a table. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I think there's probably, as far as like church attendance, you know, that's a thing. We, yes. We've kind of, you know, if somebody comes twice a month to a service, yeah. then they're like, you know, full on, <laughs> you know, church attenders. Yes. Um, like twice, once a month is great. Um, you know, just because of schedules and life yeah. and that kind of thing. But I think, you know, having that online uh, sent out or whatever, there's a greater amount of people that can participate yeah. in hearing that. And then I think I think there is there's much more of a reason, a motivation to come together if I get to share yeah. and I get to talk and I, and I really want to hear X, Y, and Z's per, uh, perspective on yeah. this. And that show up piece shows back up where you're saying yeah. like, it, it takes people showing up. Me coming to church is not going to make a difference. A lot of people right. would perceive me coming to church is not going to make a difference of the church service at all. Right. Whether I'm there or not, whether I'm in person or not, church is going to go on as usual. Right. If it's a big church, no one might even notice that I'm there or not. Um, so, But if, if you're saying you are in small group B mm-hmm. and there's eight of you in this group, and we really want to hear your perspective, that's going to give me a lot more motivation yeah. to come. And whether it's on Sunday or not, for the traditional folks who love coming to church on Sunday, awesome, come on Sunday. But for people where Sunday's just not an option, Tuesday night group, Thursday mm-hmm. night group, at this person's house, it, you know, it doesn't have to look the same. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, Jesus did most of his miracles outside of the church. And there's just a lot of space outside of the church where great conversations can happen about faith that, yeah doesn't have to be in these four walls and i think that if we could move outside of thinking everything has to happen in this building in the same format that has happened the last hundred years we're going to open our doors to a lot more people yeah see this is one of the things that came up somebody was asking and uh, was you know what why focus on millennials and i think maybe that comes out of you know what's wrong with us <laughs> um but i think i mean i want i want to get your perspective on that but i I feel like what you're describing, why, for me, why focus on millennials is that, well, first of all, the, the future. <laughs> yes, of um, course. <laughs> but also, 
there, I think that one of the characteristics of millennials is that these things, which are a, par, a deep part of all of us, are just very much on the surface and in a way are demanding to say, I'm not going to settle for this other stuff. Because some of the other questions ha- had to do with, you know, well, what are millennials looking for from God or from church? And from hearing you talk, I feel like they want the same things Absolutely. that we all want. They Absolutely. just actually want it. <laughs> you know, they're not satisfied to say, to, t- to hear about it. Yeah. They want to experience it. Absolutely. Deeply. And I think that's good for all of us. Right. Yeah, and I mean, again, going back to like why millennials, this isn't a new issue. Every generation has said the 20-sums are the least connected to church. I think what's causing the most alarm is that millennials have a space to be more vocal about it. And we can write these articles online and and yell at the church (laughs) and say, you're not serving us the way we want to be served. Whereas older generations didn't have the space to do that, um, especially not as publicly as we can now. And then we also have new names for things like if you know if I'm, I'm a believer but i'm not a believer or i'm an atheist or i'm not an atheist but i'm a non-believer or you know like we just have a lot more names for things uh, i think that than we did in the past so we're grouping ourselves differently but i again i don't think it's a new issue i think every generation has said that the next generation coming is the least churched group um, right but why focus on millennials? I mean, like you said, we're the future, right? And we're a, a large body of the population. A lot of people will say, you know, church is such a cultural thing that whenever people get married and start having kids, that's when they'll come back to church. And, you know, the 30-sums and 40-sums are the heartbeat of the church anyway. So let the millennials go out and explore and, and they'll come back because that's what everyone mm. does. And that's just the nature of church. And, and we could do that. We could absolutely let people do that. But if we're called to be, you know, fishers of men, then I don't think that we can just ignore a population of people and say, hopefully they'll come back. Yeah. 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 Well, just because I'm interested, we one last bit of conversation. Yeah. We were talking about um, spaces where things happen, like you were telling me about a, an open mic poetry yeah. experience. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm just curious on your thoughts about this connection between spirituality and faith and the possibility for gathering around those things. Yeah, so I can remember going to an open mic night and this was on a college campus. It was actually like right off of a college campus. So there were a lot of college students, college age students there. And just to hear people who I've never seen before, anyone I know, to go up to a microphone in front of a room of people, some people they know, a lot of people that they don't know, and just very be very bare-boned and vulnerable about things that they've gone to, drug addiction, gone through, drug addiction, losing their friends to suicide, just a lot of very deep and personal issues um, that they've come out of, that they're still dealing with, that they've wrestled with before, and hearing the snaps of the audience like in agreement or understanding or just the empathy of saying, I feel you, and going up to a microphone and, and sharing what happened or what is happening and then going and sitting back down. And it's just like, whoa, like... That is, that's, a, that's transformational. Mm-hmm. One, for the person who was sharing to be able to have the courage to say what they went through or how they felt. 
to do that in front of other humans and then for the humans who are listening to say that took a lot of faith and courage I can't imagine what that was like and to be reflective on their own life after hearing something like that and it really makes me think that's how church is supposed to be it's supposed to be a place where you can be that vulnerable to share what's going on whether anyone in the crowd has answers or not like no one went up to the microphone looking for someone to have answers it was just a space where I can feel safe enough to share and it's crazy that you can do that in a coffee shop for an open mic, but to walk into a church and do it would be the worst possible thing, right? right. So I think that there are spaces that already have these really safe spaces um, kind of built in, and, and churches could really learn a lot from those spaces. And just the word church, <laughs> just the word church would drive everyone in there probably like they would run run down the block <laughs> if, if you said church anywhere near a space like that mm-hmm. but there are communities that are doing this that are sharing that are vulnerable and church could be a space that looked just like that or church yeah. there, there's some there's something that could be done to bring faith spaces into a space where people can be vulnerable again and i don't think yeah. right now that people feel like church is a safe space to be vulnerable yeah yeah wow well Thank you, Lindsay. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for taking this time yeah. to, to join in this conversation. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Yeah. I feel like I want to go back and listen to this. <laughs> I got so many notes. <laughs> yeah. It's really, really informative. And I, I really appreciate your work um, on behalf of churches everywhere. Yes. Um, I'm really excited to read your dissertation when you're done and implement. We're ever excited to read a dissertation, but yeah. Yeah. And I'd love to have you back maybe after you're all finished Please. and we can talk more about what, what shape that took and, and yeah. what that might look like for the future. Because I, I mean, everybody is looking for models now and trying right. to, to navigate these waters. And I think I think it's a time of real excitement. Yeah. I think there's some really exciting things that can be happening. So Absolutely. thank yeah. you for contributing to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. And I don't want I don't want online communities to get a bad rap. Like we're again, this is not online or in person. Right. I think that it could work very beautifully in conjunction yeah. if this is the demographic of people you want to affect or, or change. But I mean, there are a lot of businesses that still haven't taken their businesses online, and there are a lot of businesses that are functioning only online, and then there are businesses where you can shop online in person, and and you can have a hybrid of both. And I think that you can get the best of both worlds when you have a hybrid and, you know, cater to the demographic of people wherever they are. Not saying you have to come to us, but going out to them. Right, right, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Anytime. (laughs) Anytime you're in D.C., come by. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, as for you, my friends, uh, please stay tuned because our next interview is going to be with Sam Bodkin, founder of Group Muse, which is a, a platform enabling communities to come together around great art. It's an online social network that connects young classical musicians to local audiences through concert house parties. It's really cool. So they're an example of one of these groups of people who's doing soulful gathering well. And I'm really excited to get to chat and hear more about what they do and how they do it and what is meaningful for them. So as always, be sure to head over to vergenow.org to see our latest case studies, blog posts, and podcasts. And be sure to subscribe so you can get insider info and hear what's happening next. And I would love it if you would send me an email at lsmith at ourconvergence.org. Let me know what you think, what you're trying, uh, what's working for you. Thank you again, Lindsay, and thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.